Is Machine Gun Kelly and Willow's song, Emo Girl, doing more harm than good? Is it really Short King Spring? And why Doja Cat might be quitting music? We're Jasmine and Maggie, and you're listening to Culture Club, our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people are the traditional custodians of this land we are on today. We would like to pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. We'd also like to celebrate their rich history of culture and storytelling that we can all learn from. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Congratulations, Mags. You did something outside your comfort zone this weekend and I feel we need to applaud. Uh, Can you share with the class what happened this weekend? (laughs) Oh, thanks, Jazz. I had my first ever MC gig yesterday and it was for a Greens candidate's launch campaign as we head into the election. So that was um, very nerve-wracking. I've been nervous for honestly a month, like almost every single day, nervous about it. So it was really great to actually do it and everyone was so lovely and it was really heartwarming and such like a beautiful community atmosphere in there so yes I feel I feel good now um but we both had really wholesome weekends haven't we Mm, yeah I feel like I've done like everything I've wanted this weekend we've had family time we've had spa time we went to the beach saw friends so just what a weekend should be you know yours was similar you got to go to the uh, food and wine festival I saw on Instagram yeah it was super cute super spontaneous I hadn't seen much about it but they had like the cutest food stalls and what really like warmed my heart was that they actually grabbed so many different small family businesses across Melbourne like uh, out my way like down like south like in Springvale to places um in Sunshine and Footscray like he was actually really diverse and he wasn't just the same you know like CBD locations um being I guess promoted so it was actually really heartwarming kind of made me emotional I was just like oh this is so lovely to see like community get around around it all that's so sweet I saw on TikTok the um 7-Eleven thing (laughs) (laughs) So, like, 7-Eleven has collaborated with Melbourne Food and Wine Festival to create this, like, um, really aesthetically pleasing pop-up, right? Yeah. they. I think I saw the TikTok too and they were like, yeah, it's like the Japanese convenience stores that you see there. Um, and it was very cute. It was very cute. I think they had, like, Slurpees, like, cocktail Slurpees. Um, and they had, like, really, really bougie ice cream and just some other little local produce. Not as good as the Japanese convenience stores. Was like mm. it, wasn't, it wasn't a letdown. I was like, oh, okay. Like, it's just, like, a mm. little store where they've got different produce and whatever. But very cute vibes. Very cute <laughs> vibes. But alas, we are going back to work this week. But someone is not going to work this week, and that is Ash Barty. What a segue. I am so proud of that. <laughs> Yes, so Ash Barty, our star export, our fabulous tennis player slash ex-cricketer at just 25 years old has announced this week that she's retired from professional tennis. Via her Instagram account, the world champion said, I don't have the physical drive, the emotional want and everything it takes to challenge yourself at the very top level anymore. I just know I'm absolutely spent. I know physically I have nothing more to give and that for me is success. 
I've given absolutely everything I can to this beautiful sport of tennis and I'm really happy with that. She is absolutely incredible. Like we don't talk about sport on this podcast, but when she won Australian Open this year, we had to talk about it. She is such an inspiration to so many. So she has actually finished with three major singles titles, the French Open in 2019, Wimbledon in 2021, and this year's Oz Open on top of that all. She also said, when you work so hard your whole life for one goal, to be able to win Wimbledon, which was the one true dream that I wanted in tennis, that really changed my perspective. I just had that gut feeling after Wimbledon and there was just a little part of me that wasn't quite satisfied, that wasn't quite fulfilled. And I love some of the um, tweets that we posted on Culture Club as well, one in particular by Virginia Trioli, which says, I love how Ash Barty has never defined herself by the work she does, the sport she plays. I love how she walks away when it's not as much fun as it should be and then walks into something else and is even stronger. Life lessons. Go well, Ash. Oh, so incredible. Um, also, in the video, she kind of sizzled and teased that she has other hopes and dreams that she wants to pursue. I wonder if that's in the sporting arena, if that's something else entirely. So I kind of made a quick statement, which is like, as a joke, but I was like, oh my God, she's so anti-girl boss. But I'm also like, maybe she is girl boss. <laughs> she's <laughs> going after something else, but we'll just have to see. It's just so inspiring to see someone like, I bloody just love watching people achieve their goals. Like it's just Mm. so invigorating and also to step away when you're at the peak is also such a boss move. Like not waiting until you start slipping down, you know, the chart, the charts, like sport, I don't know, (laughs) slipping down in like the titles. And yeah, she's like left on a high, which I think is very smart thing to do, but Rumor has it her partner is um, a golf instructor. So there's a rumor like maybe she'll like take the golfing world by storm. Oh, wouldn't be surprised to be honest. She's going to conquer mm. all the sports, like the elements or whatever. <laughs> golf, tennis, cricket. <laughs> so good. Back to our forte, Harry Styles. Can you please share the news this week? Oh, my God. Um, Our one and only Harry Styles is releasing new music. Finally, he has teased his new album called Harry's House, which will come out on May 20th, which is just too far away in my books. Um, And that album will have 13 new songs. The album art also dropped and it's Harry standing in an upside down, pretty bare living room wearing wide denim jeans and a cute cropped and collared baby doll t-shirt with these also gorgeous little um, ballet flats on. And the designer he's wearing is British fashion designer Molly Goddard, who I've loved for like years and years. She has such like a feminine kind of cottage core style to her clothes. So it's like so great to see her, um, yeah, collaborating with Harry Styles. So cool. Oh, epic and I also um while I was doing all the stalks like when the album released I was like please give me more photos so I like went on the photographer the creative director like every bloody person involves Instagram profile but no no extra snippets it's just this album art of course but the photographer themselves um was also someone like really low-key like they had a couple like thousand Instagram followers like wasn't this big name shooting the album cover so it is really cool to see Harry I guess working with these smaller creatives as well so Mm -hmm. 
Ooh, I'm so excited for this new album. He also released a 40-second teaser video that is fast-paced and showcases the streets of New York to London's underground with quick cuts. And if you've been on TikTok, you would have seen many edits be made from this clip, lots of like flashbacks and comparing him to like when he's in One Direction and the little snippet of the song. I can like hear it in my head. Like it's been played so much. We're like, please, sir, crumb. But also (laughs) something that I've actually wanted to talk to you about. I think it's like just a very sweet thing that fans do online, but I feel like it's gotten more intense with TikTok. And I think it started with Taylor Swift and all of her little Easter egg things and how she kind of always tries to, like, play with the audience. I see you eye-rolling there. Um, (laughs) Which I think is, like, it can be fun to figure out. But it's gone, like, I've been on TikTok, obviously, and I've seen lots of people and fans being, like, doing these, like, really deep analytical dives into the album art or being, like, he was telling us all along because – um, he references home in like four songs in um, Fine Line and this album is called Harry's Home. Like it's all a, a thread continuing and blah, 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 like all these different theories. But I'm also just like the word home and like to talk about home is like a very common word and a very common thing. And I'm not definitely not like ragging on these people, um, especially fangirls. Like you guys know how we mm. feel about fan. Like we love fangirls and like, we have been fangirls but yeah it's just like interesting to see people like you can make a connection out of anything like the human brain can do that very easily um anyway they're just having fun but it's been like I feel like it's been on overdrive with this Harry's house how do you feel about that it's giving year nine English analysis um but it is fun like you say like you say it's all in it's all in good faith like there's obviously yeah. nothing wrong with over analyzing things I mean maybe I don't know if you would oh my god I'm sure Harry Styles is fine um, but like, like I wonder if he has to like Obviously not, but I wonder if he got to the point where he would have to like rethink everything he's, he's releasing because he's like, oh, what if people read into it the wrong way? Yeah. I don't know. I think that's yeah. fine. But um, it is an interesting one. Like people really will dig to like the depths of whatever mm. they, they love, which I like I was definitely the same. But it's interesting to see that like home is, you know, just such a normal word. I'm sorry. Excited for – I also think it's because we've been deprived. Like mm. we haven't had any Harry music for over a year. So people are like, oh, my God, like a crumb of Harry music. Like let's just like analyse and go over and anyway. Completely. Everyone can do what they want. But I've just seen so many of those videos and I wanted to chat with you about it. Drop the single Harry. Where is it? So according to the internet and the Northern Hemisphere, it's Short King Spring. But maybe this shouldn't come to a surprise to any of us, you know, like social values are changing and we've seen an openness in dissecting gender norms and stereotypes. So maybe Short King Spring is here to stay. What do you think? I'm sorry. I'm so tired. I'm so tired of like all these eras I'm just like, shut up. (laughs) Am I getting old? You're so funny. I think it's because we see this a lot at work, like what we're kind of always predicting, like what's the next thing, Mm. Um, what's everyone talking about, what's trending that 
you start realizing that like every week there's a new thing and it's like it's like the indie sleeves um thing we were talking about last week with aria like is this really happening or is it just someone like proclaiming short kings are in and so then there's like all these think pieces and articles about Mm. it like but in reality people are still going for tall guys i don't know a mix. I mean, I think one thing that throws me off this, right, is that this is like a resurgence of an internet phrase that literally only started in 2018. Like the way uh, that is so recent. So just over four years ago, writer Miles Klee wrote about the definition of a short king for those who aren't acquainted with the term, which is someone who, quotes, celebrates his height, always wearing it well. He's never been envious of a six foot plus dude's gawky frame, and he sure as hell doesn't add inches to his own measurements to impress anyone. So... Yeah, it actually, the term originated um, on Twitter from this comedian, Jabuki Young White. And yeah, he just kind of brought it into the zeitgeist. It was very fun and funny. Um, but yeah, it's kind of been back, I guess, in quotation marks because of a few TikTok trends and celebrity couples. Have you seen those like reaction videos where a girl calls her like tall boyfriend a short king to see how he reacts? No. Oh God, am I going, am I on straight talk or something? I yeah, think that sounds like it's really <laughs> bloody embarrassing, but you know, it's just like all these like tall alpha male types getting like defensive or being like, babe, what? <laughs> like, whatever. Mm. It, it is kind of funny. Um, but of course we have spoken about Zendaya and Tom Holland who are doing the most for short King representation. Um, are there any other couples that come to mind for you? Yeah, um, this celebrity couple I know called uh, Maggie and Tom. Uh, <laughs> not my mind going to like Maggie Gyllenhaal. <laughs> you're so yeah, funny. Yeah, you're Tom, much taller than Tom, right? Probably like less than five centimetres, but still, you know, like if I'm wearing, I like wear heeled shoes, etc. Um, And it's so funny. Tom will keep being like, I did it first, Tom Holland. Like, <laughs> I did it first. Because, you know, we talked about that iconic like alpha shot of Zendaya with her arm around um Mm. Tom like that was so hot and I actually think you know you're saying that you know it's right I agree that that girls are still going for guys that are tall but then I swear in public I am seeing this is obviously confirmation bias I am (laughs) seeing these tall girlies with their short boyfriends and they look proud like they are standing up straight they are walking with purpose I don't know if that's confirmation bias but but it's cute to see Laura Pitcher wrote about this for ID and found that shorter men need to earn more money to be deemed equally attractive to taller men for example a man who is 5'6 needs to earn an additional $175,000 per year to be as desirable as a man who is six foot tall This bias is clearly rooted in misogyny, ableism, and racism, with Asian men often taking the brunt. Like, so this is what I mean. So I know we're laughing about this kind Mm. of shocking thing, but there there are actual real-world repercussions. And obviously we've talked about this before. Like, a lot of the time we are talking about heterosexual men. Like, obviously they're not experiencing as much oppression. (laughs) But it's good to note, like, The Guardian also found that people perceive shorter men as having fewer leadership qualities and that even in kindergarten, studies have found that teachers perceive the shortest boys in their class as less academically capable than their peers. Wow. So, like, when you see these, like, stats, I'm like, okay, maybe there is some 
Marion the Sea. But I think when it's packaged as like shocking spring, shocking era, like everything's an era. And I've mm-hmm. noticed that I've been trying to like stop saying era as well because it's like if everything's an era, then nothing's an era. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, it's like what we were speaking about last week about how quick these internet trends are cycling through and like whether they're just um, echo chambers and stuff. But yeah, I mean, if this is actually a cultural shift of like getting away from that, like, oh, my boyfriend has to be over six foot tall or like the person, like when I'm dating, whatever, um, then I think that's a good thing. Because like you said, like it also is a race thing as well. Doja Cat has made headlines over the weekend as she announced a shock retirement in response to fans from Paraguay accusing her of not caring. A few days earlier, the singer tweeted, I don't think I gave Brazil a good enough show tonight at all, and I'm sorry for that, but thank you guys for coming out. I fucking love you, and thank God we've got another show tomorrow. I promise I'll do better. But then on Thursday, the singer tweeted, This shit ain't for me, so I'm out. Y'all take care. Following her tweets on Thursday night, Doja changed her Twitter name to say, I quit. And later on, um, fans wondered if she just made the comments in the heat of the moment. She changed it to, I quit still. This mostly comes after Doja had to cancel her show in Paraguay due to a storm which caused severe flooding. After she raved about Brazil, Twitter fans from Paraguay accused her of not caring about their country. And then fans also criticised her for not saying hi to the people who waited for her in the rain outside of a festival and her hotel just to see her. Doja actually replied in a Twitter thread saying, I'm not sorry. And then apparently the fans started calling her slurs online after they showed up to a hotel and she ignored them. Do you think that she is being serious about quitting or do you think this is just like a fuck you guys, like don't tell me what to do, like how dare you call me slurs, which is totally fair enough? No, I don't think she's going to quit music. I do think this is more of a spur of the moment thing, but I also don't blame her if she chooses to stop because like this is her life um, Mm -hmm. and I can't imagine – the pressure that fandoms um, give to people. Like we were even talking about Harry Styles before. They overanalyze everything. With Doja, she was receiving a lot of anti-black slurs. Like that is terrible mm-hmm. and no one deserves that. So it's her bound like it's her boundaries to set. Totally. Twitter user Fat Pfizer Pussy, love the <laughs> handle, said, We've seen countless celebrities get stalked, harassed, and had lasting damage from paparazzi and fans. It's not fair to be so entitled and demanding and then resort to more harassment and racial slurs when you don't get your way. We've all seen how celebrities were harassed by paparazzi. Britney Spears, for example. Y'all have no clue what Doja was going through and to throw racism on top of it is dot dot dot. I think a lot of y'all are also missing the point of which people were so quick to be racist and call her slurs when they didn't get what they wanted from her. Completely. And we also found another tweet by user Seb, aka at Hive Clown Print, who said, This Doja Cat situation proves what I've known for a long time. If black people aren't entertaining non black people or commodifying themselves, they aren't seen as worthy of respect. And the minute they express human emotions, the racism jumps out from people who call themselves fans. This conversation is almost identical to the one we had just a couple of weeks ago um, when the singer Mitski, who is Asian, also went through this when she just politely asked fans to stop recording at her shows like for the whole time and she got a lot of backlash from supposed fans. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. This keeps happening more and more. And 
I think it is because of social media. Like celebrities and musicians never used to be this accessible to fans. And then because of social media and like we see our friends online, we see influencers and we see celebrities all in the same space. And I think that like culture basically has made us think that they owe us so much more. And especially with someone like Doja Cat because she's very like kind of authentic, if that's the right word to use, like um, she's not super like always polished and always um, only posting pictures from like photo shoots. Like she does post like at home and she does live videos and she started off like on the internet as like an internet star. So maybe like fans feel an extra layer of entitlement over her because she does like funny videos and like posts without her makeup, etc. Yeah. And of course, like fandom culture has been around for so long. We look at Beatlemania and the craze that surrounded that but what was different was that felt so much more one way and like one-sided and that you didn't like you mentioned um didn't have that direct form of communication where you can like leave comments on their TikTok videos where they'll probably see them or you know um Doja was actually replying to Twitter threads so obviously she's reading what people are saying mm. so yeah must must oh god obviously like not to say the obvious but it must be hard like especially mm. as like a young black woman that is hard to even fathom mm. I found an article by Rachel Sieg for the BBC titled Is the Age of Celebrity Over? And it was written in response to the Imagine video from 2020, <sighs> never forget. But in it, Professor Chris Rojek, who specialises in cultural sociology at London City University, says, What should be intriguing, a glimpse into the inner sanctum, has been diluted by a celebrity culture that has been built on false intimacy. The distance between a celebrity today and us is much less than before, say, 1970. Then, if you looked up to Marlon Brando or whoever it was, they were like gods. People may now think Beyonce is a god, but she is much nearer to us than 30 or 40 years ago because we're drowning in media access to celebrities. Oh, that's such a good point. Um, Also, what a job title. (laughs) I know. Being a researcher of cultural sociology and pop culture. Goals. Oh god now i've got the track in my head mm. but machine gun kelly recently released a song with willow the very catchy emo girl um but you might have seen the song do the rounds on tiktok where users are headbanging along to the tune with a side fringe black lipstick and heavy eye makeup even north and kim k got involved that was the best thing that ever popped up on my For You page. So people were either kind of reminiscing or poking fun or having fun with this emo girl trope. Were you an emo or goth girl jazz? Did you have this phase? Um, I wouldn't say. Well, actually, I did want to dye my head jet black and get a tongue piercing when I was like 13, 14. But of course, my mother did not let me. Thank you, Sonia. <laughs> But no, I would say I didn't have an emo girl face. I was into like pop punk and I had a side fringe, but I feel like it was more indie sleaze twee than um, than emo. My boyfriend yeah. at the time, my high school boyfriend had like snake bite piercings, which was like the kind of lip piercings with like a side oh fringe. Oh my goodness. He was a bit more, yeah, emo. Anyway, good times in the mid-2000s. Um, I feel like y- you weren't, but no, definitely you proved not. me wrong. <laughs> Imagine if I come out here. No, I didn't even. I had like the smallest of small side fringes. That's like the closest I got. But no, that wasn't my my scene. 
So Elizabeth Whitehead wrote an article for Refinery29 called The Revival of the Emo Girl is a Slippery Slope to Commodifying Pain. And in it, she makes a link between mental health and how it's been glorified by different subcultures. So in it, she wrote, Through the lens of the male gaze in pop culture, the emo girl is a muse. She's intriguing, exotic even. Her aesthetic is dark and mysterious and so is her outlook on life. Characteristics of the emo or alternative girl often include depression and mental illness, casually lumped together with eyeliner and fishnet stockings. Mental illness is not just a characteristic of the trope, but a key feature of its appeal. It's a disturbing insight into the way mental health can be objectified, reduced to an accessory like a stud choker or a septum ring. It's a reminder that through the male gaze, anything can become a commodity, even pain. A man with an emo girl on his arm can experience the perceived edginess of her mental illness by proxy. He gets the cool points for associating with her depression without actually having to suffer through depression. Through the lens of this cultural philosophy, a woman is encouraged to wear her suffering like seductive lingerie, even though it feels more like a straitjacket that one is constantly trying to escape from. So Chaz, I am really curious to hear your thoughts on this because when you first saw this headline, you gave it a massive eye roll. Me like, really? Like, are we are we really doing this? Okay. <laughs> You're exposing me. That was in the office. <laughs> um, I feel like I've said this like twice this episode, and now I sound like I'm so jaded by the internet. It's just interesting that these conversations, I think, are coming back up. I think this also proves like how long we've been on the internet for now because like the same conversations are kind of happening over and over like um five ten years like later which is fine because like things are different from different time eras but I feel like this conversation already happened on tumblr um but in saying that there's still merit in it because not everyone was on tumblr and um I think yeah it is an important topic to talk about but it's just interesting that the author has chosen this song to like as a jumping off point for me because I feel like, again, with Indy Sleaze thing, like, is the emo girl actually coming back? Because also a lot of people have just been making fun of this song. Like, I feel like it's almost a satirical song, even though I don't think that was Machine Gun Kelly and um, Willow's intention. Uh, a lot of people are just making fun of it. But in saying that, like, it's very, very well written. And the song are... of the piece? <laughs> Sorry, the article. I was going to say the, the lyrics of the chorus are, I fell in love with an emo girl. I'm in love with an emo girl. I fell in love with an emo girl. All I want is an emo girl. I've never actually heard the full song. I've only heard the TikTok snippets of that chorus. Um, thank God. But, yeah, I, yeah, I mean um, – Elizabeth's piece is very well written and definitely an important thing to remember if especially for like younger teenagers I feel who might be experimenting with subcultures um or maybe leaning into certain things like it's important to remember what do you think about it well yeah this is what was interesting because neither of us were really involved with you know emo culture so it feels very uh, not really foreign but like far away like I remember seeing it from afar Mm. on Tumblr and such so it is actually interesting looking back retrospectively about how it was looked at so you know I was I read this piece and I was like oh damn like really great points and I still stand by Mm. that but I was like oh I actually don't know much about emo culture is this a one-dimensional look at it though Mm. and then I was 
yeah, doing some reading and I found that in the late um, 2000s, emo culture and its correlations to poor mental health was some form of moral panic. Like it was massive, you know. The Daily Mail published a series of articles describing emo as a sinister cult that no child is safe from. Like, Yeah, it was such a big thing. Uh, so especially like in America, the kind of like uh, religious thing in America as well, like was really influential in the kind of moral panic about emos and seeing kids and stuff. But in an article from Vice in 2018 by Emma Garland called How Mainstream Emo Made Us Talk About Mental Health, Emma says, all this controversy was born from the assumption that fans of alternative music, whether it be emo or metal, are directly influenced by the bands they listen to as opposed to turning to them to cope with pre-existing issues. She ends a piece with... Depression, self-harm and teenage suicide became part and parcel of an image that the commercialization of emo created, but that doesn't change the fact that it helped countless people deal with their problems. Yeah, so like in that sense, I feel like there's more community, more people like, yeah, finding community and safety in emo music and culture than um, it being commodified. So I think that like when I saw the headline as well, I was like, I feel like there's more benefits to emo and scene culture than like, yeah, labels trying to commodify it or um, whatever. So, yeah, but both pieces are really well written and definitely should be spoken about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I found really interesting from Emma's article as well was that um, she mentioned like like the revival of emo culture in like the 2010s took on such a different form where it was – a lot more women in this scene as well and mental health was spoken about way more openly so I do think like you mentioned there's a lot of benefit there and then it's interesting that Elizabeth looked at that through the gaze like through the male gaze and maybe how that kind of gets warped but yeah Mm. interesting to look at all right Maggie what do you recommend for us this week I've got a movie recommendation. It is a new Disney and Pixar animated movie called Turning Red, which is available on Disney+. Plus. Sadly, it didn't get a run in the cinemas, and I'm really disappointed about that. But anyway, it follows Mei Li, a 13-year-old Chinese-Canadian girl who is torn between being her mother's obedient daughter and just being a tween girl, like embracing boy bands and being with her friends Um, and as if that wasn't enough when she gets too excited or too emotional she turns into a big red panda (laughs) so yeah there's got some fan like fantasy elements in it too but I think it's such a special watch especially off the back of last week's recommendation from me about the babysitter's club ending um this movie, I think, really gives space and respect to the tween years of a girl's life. It's actually Pixar's first contemporary tween girl protagonist. And obviously, you know, having the protagonist being Chinese also added a deeper level of intimacy and representation. Like, oh my God, this sounds so cliche, but I didn't realize that I never really saw someone like of that age that looked like me, that was like me on stage, mm. on screen. Um, and it was so beautiful. I watched it with my little sister, Katie, and honestly, she's on the screen first two minutes and we're like, oh my God, she's like us. Like she's like us or she's like a cousin. Like, you know, she just felt so real and so Aww. close. 
So yeah, I actually um, wrote about this movie for Refinery29 and I got to talk to, with the director, Domi Shi, who created that short film Bao as well, which is like iconic mm. goodness. Um, and yeah, it was incredible. She's like this young, cool, Asian creative, like so inspiring. So I'll just read a little bit from my piece. When I sat down to watch Pixar's newest animated movie about a girl who turns into a giant red panda when she becomes emotional, I didn't expect to be throttled by the weight of intergenerational responsibility within the first minute. But there I was, listening to a 13-year-old Chinese-Canadian called May talk about the thin line between honouring your parents and honouring yourself. I'm Aileen Lee. I wear what I want, say what I want, 24-7, 365, turning Red's protagonist to Claire's while strutting down the street with a Tamagotchi strapped to a backpack, stickers covering her suitcase. Seeing this boisterous, unabashed and outspoken character leading into her intelligence and self-assuredness felt like seeing my younger self reflected back at me. Don't get me wrong, she's silly and a bit obnoxious in the way that teenagers are, but that's what makes her all the more relatable. What I found special and what simultaneously shocked me was May's no-holds-barred love of being Chinese. In the movie, she loves hanging out with her mum, helping her run their family's temple and devouring their home-cooked food. A lot of Asian kids in predominantly white spaces tend to reject their cultural identity growing up, myself included. Seeing someone abstain from this self-hating trope was powerful. So yeah, I should also mention that while this film deals with big topics like identity and culture and belonging, it's also mainly just like a fun and silly film that centers around early 2000s boy bands. So very fun. Um, So I recommend that. That's so sweet. And your words are so beautiful. Thank you, Jan. Thank you for sharing. I am loving all the movies out of Disney and Pixar at the moment that are exploring other cultures. Yeah. It's so important and so nice to see. I feel like every week there's like a new, well not every week, maybe every month there's a new, yeah, like a kid's film that's like changing the way kids see themselves and it's just so nice to see. It's so, so nice. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Of course. And what recommendation do you have to finish off the app? I just have a quick one. It is a podcast produced by Noiser called The Short History Of. So it's a podcast series hosted by Paul McGann, and each week they'll transport you back in time to witness history's most incredible moments and remarkable people. There are some really interesting, um, yeah, historical moments, and they go for about fifty minutes each. So while it sounds like long for an episode, when you're when you think that they're talking about the whole history of something, that's like yeah, quite right. quick. <laughs> so I started listening to one about the Berlin Wall. And that was really good. But they also have episodes on the suffragettes, Watergate. The most recent one is um, Prohibition, when alcohol was banned. And they go through the Ottoman Empire, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, like so many um, kind of, yeah, historical moment, the pyramids, (laughs) Egypt, the samurai. So, yeah, if you're one of those people who likes to listen to podcasts, like when you're cleaning or to go to sleep, um, although – I started like listening to podcasts when I'm falling asleep and then I realize I like miss half of it because I'm like falling yeah. asleep. Um, I'm trying to get through a Jane Eyre audiobook at the moment and it's taking oh, me yes. forever because, you know, it's so like old school that you end up falling asleep, which is what you want. But anyway, if you're interested in history and you like well-produced podcasts, then I would recommend that. It's called The Short History of... 
Love that. Thank you, Jazz. And now that just brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you again, everybody, for tuning in. As always, we've loved having you with us. If you enjoyed this episode, then feel free to give us a rate and review on Apple or Spotify. But otherwise, we'll see you on the internet. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.